0: National Fishermen and Pacific Marine Expo are proud supporters of the Galley Stories
1: podcast as we make similar efforts to highlight the people and topics that define commercial fishing. You can see what that looks like in print and online all year long, as well as every November in Seattle, when this community comes together at PME. Check out nationalfishermen.com and pacificmarineexpo.com to learn more.
0: Hello and welcome to Galley Stories, stories of the Bering Sea and beyond, hosted by Mark Kaler. My name is Penka Jane, podcast deckhand and longtime listener. We'd thank you to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review. Here's today's catch. Hello, guys, and welcome to another installment of Galley Stories Stories of the Bering Sea and Beyond. I am your host, Mark Haler. Today we have Captain David Hillstrand from the High Decay with us. How you doing, David? Really good. So, um, welcome to the podcast. Uh, Let's just start right off with where were you born, and and what what was your first introduction into the commercial fishery?
1: I was born in Homer, Alaska. The first thing I remember in commercial fishing, actually the first thing I remember about fishing was being on a tugboat out of Homer, eating uh, cantaloupe, and then the next thing I remember was being on a small crab boat with my dad, with king crab in the fish hole.
0: So those are early memories.
1: Yes, very early. Yeah, probably... Two three years old I remember that oh we're going back to the real yes. early memories
0: okay what was your first well let's talk about your family history in fishing because your dad fished yeah how long did he
1: fish he started about 62 mm-hmm. fishing yep and then so dad started then he uh had a little boat called the Gertrude Ann and we he'd go out and go crab fishing in uh, Cook Inlet fish for halibut salmon and king crab and started out fishing. One of the stories I remember Dad telling me about was uh, fishing out of uh, Seldovia, out of Homer. And the guys out of Seldovia didn't like the guys in Homer fishing. So they'd pull their pots and tell them to get the hell out of there. So uh, Pete Elsoss, uh told the guys, hey, leave Johnny alone. There's plenty of crap in the bay for all of us. So my dad tells me this story. About two years before Dad passes away, Dad was about 59 then. Dad goes... You remember when we we're fishing, I first started out, Pete Elsas uh, across the bay, a local one of the local native guys there, said, hey, there's room for Johnny here and his family. And I remember that story my dad told me. And I, it hit me. hit me right in the heart. And so I remember uh, Pete had a heart attack, and he came across the bay. We started, and the home was a small town, so Lobby's a small town. You sort of keep track of everybody. And I went up and thanked Pete. I go, Pete, my dad told me the story. He just passed away. And you, you're over here, I just want to say thank you for saying that and helping our family out. It really meant a lot, and old Pete, I never seen a bigger smile on his face than the whole world. And so that was a really good time and good memory about fishing and, and plenty of room for everyone to have yeah. some fun to fish.
0: Yeah, it doesn't feel like there's enough room for crab nowadays, no, though, does it? No, no. So and what was your first experience being hired on it?
1: I was, my first job was with Rolly on a boat for 75 bucks a day out of Cook Inlet. I was in, no, that was out of high school. My first job was working with Dad for 1% of uh, the catch over out of Cape Douglas for King crab in 7th grade. So we'd go over there, I'd do the chop the bait and then get the bait jars all done, the hanging bait all done, and then go inside and start cooking for the guys. So he had Randy, Ned, and Vern, I think uh, three guys in the boat, dad was setting gear and back then they had these big huge uh, 8 track stereos and big speakers on the boat well these guys are setting the gear and they got the Ozark Mountain Daredevils playing I remember it to this day in 7th grade what was I 12 years old and so I'm in there cooking away and all of a sudden the guys are setting the gear and I can hear the guys hollering and what are they hollering at man Johnny stop the boat my dad can't hear because the damn stereo is going Go, dad they're hollering he looks about and he Throws it in full reverse. Well, Randy... It was Randy. I forgot the other guy's name. Got his freaking foot in the line. Was getting dragged back to the back of the boat. Ned was a Vietnam vet. So was Ed. He goes to whip out his knife. And the other guy, Randy, grabs the freaking knife and slices Ed's arm straight open. Goes back and cuts the line off of Randy's foot. My dad's in, like, full reverse. And it's all safe. But Ned's arm's just, like, bleeding like crazy. The old man comes downstairs. He is cussing sideways. Grabs the whole damn stereo. Speakers over the freaking boat. It takes them a couple trips. You're grabbing a speaker and <laughs> the wires hanging on. Out it goes. And I'm like in seventh grade, 12 years old watching this stuff. Big eyeballs like this, man. Grabs the next one. Grabs the stereo. Gets rid of it. So that's why I don't listen to music on the boat today. But I'll remember that. For 1%, I made enough to buy my first Ithaca 12-gauge shotgun. And I must have made $4,000 in that short time in the 100%. month of August. But the first job I had was freaking on the, that was on the sea wipe. The first job I had was just working on the boat for the invader, was his first boat. So the invader had this, uh, in the back. old days, you didn't have coolers and freezer units. You had a spot where bait went. Well, that bait was in there. The guys are too lazy to get rid of the bait. So dad goes, hey, you wanna make 20 bucks? Uh, sure. So I was probably fifth grade then. So I get in there, he goes, okay, shovel out this bait locker there. Well, I go in there, there's a foot of freaking herring in there with maggots at least a foot deep on top of it, and of course you said I'd do it, right? Your first job, okay, I'll get her done. So I was gagging all the way through this, Whoa. one shovel yeah. at a time, and then you had to grab the damn plastic out of it and the, and the cardboard out of it and shovel that over, shovel it over, and man, your eyeballs just watching those maggots in the, on top of that herring is in the Homer Boatyard. I remember that today. Wow. Remember I had another story about the invader too. So dad had a stall, and he um, would come. He was over in Seldovia. He came back to Homer. Well, Grandpa gave his buddies a uh, uh, approval to park in Dad's slot. So there's three little sailboats in Dad's spot. I think Dad had been drinking a little bit too on his way back from Seldovia. So he comes back and goes, "What the hell are these boats doing in my stall?" So he just comes and plows them, just pushes them up in the air. Anyway, Grandpa had three sailboats. He had to buy after that and then me and my brothers actually took one of them sailboats out one time off the spit and the actually the gunnel had a crack in it so we're going offshore and we got it from my cousin matt as which his boy is fishing with us this year in bristol bay in 2023 and this is probably back in uh, oh it must have been sixth grade so it must have been uh Eleven years old or something. All three of us—we were like me, Jonathan, Nan, and a and whole younger—and we had that sailboat out. and We kept going, and we had we dragged it down the beach. We had a few rocks in the keel. We tried to push the keel down in. There was a rock that sort of wedged, but we were fine. We were going along, and so we we're cruising along that sailboat going from the Homer Spit out to uh, Gull Island, and we we're going to come back. All of a sudden, the boat just starts uh, the dipping under the water more, and it starts taking water through that crack. Well, the next thing we know, on a swell, that boat just slides underneath of us goes down under water about 10 feet, and the mass is like halfway up, and uh, then it comes back up and floats on the surface. And my brother Andy, I remember him saying, I think we should wave it some help. David, I go, no, we got this. But luckily the people stopped over. But to have a sailboat go out from under us, that was a story to remember.
0: Okay, what was the first professional commercial job
1: you did? Yeah, so that was with Rolly for 75 bucks a day and in Cook Inlet for King Crab, and it was, it was maybe for August. It was maybe for two weeks or something before I went back to school or something. That was just a start. But the very first job I had was working at a Kodiak. Oh, actually, yeah, at a Kodiak with Glenn Evans on the sleeve. And we're king crabbing back then. And let's see. Yeah, flew down to Seattle, we got the sleeve ready. Brought one of his boys. He had a nice Camaro he brought back up to Alaska sleep was an old wood scout there's not many wood scows anymore is there mark no it's good to see the pictures I tell the kids to take pictures of all these wood scows yeah. sleep was a really nice wood scowl and so we went to um, Kodiak went fishing for king crab and I think I made like 16 grand in like uh, three weeks of fishing so it was pretty good money back then yeah. and back then I you take that money and you go buy your first piece of land you go buy your little house I had my first house built two years out of high school with that money. But you could buy something back then. And I remember uh, he had a mechanic and everybody else. So I was on the rail. The other guys were on the rail for a while, but they kept missing. So uh, I was on the rail finally throwing, grappling the buoys and throwing them through the block and stuff. So I was stuck there. I I didn't miss at all. I was pretty good. But you learn how to throw that hook by grabbing it just right, put a knot about back four inches. You let it whistle through your left hand right hand of course if your left hand it would be pretty dang hard to throw and you would let that thing go and you stop it about four inches past the line it gives a jerk back and you're just ripping it back in but um that was pretty nice seeing king crab there wasn't one of the last years and then the next job i had was with paul mutch on the caprice it was an old um uh bender and there's i don't think there's a bender left that hasn't sunk right By uh, the brenna is bender the brenna is bender a scout the
0: jennifer Aza
1: bender no way so there's a few left. Well, they've they've been
0: they've been worked on to make them stable. Okay, They're,
1: those are two very very seaworthy vessels. But. So the Caprice was Paul or Paul Much's boat, and Paul Much is down in Yucat now fishing, and uh, still fishing today. We saw him last year. So the Caprice that was gorgeous, gray, black, and silver trim, and uh, we came over there. Me and Jonathan and George is another member, We would hauled uh, two loads of crab pots down to the east right down to the east side of Kodiak, Cape Barnabas. And then we um, went back for the third load, got the third load on, got ready, and he says, okay, Killer Miller's showing up. I go, Who the heck is Killer Miller? He's going to run us into the ground. I'm like 19, Jonathan's like 18. I might I might have been 18 and Jonathan might have been 70. I cannot remember to this day how old I was. But it was before we started. Uh, we were, we were sailing with Dad before that, and then we, that slowed down, so we got on the crabbing. And so uh, here comes Mike Miller, big old Norwegian guy, white, you know, old school hat, like who was the old guy that he was here for the longest time? Um, That was the main boss here, Vic. Vic Scheiber. Yeah, he had the same hat as uh, Mike did. Yeah, Mike Miller. So Killer Miller showing up. Oh, my God. So Mike shows up, tells us a story about um, having a gallstone, passing a gallstone. That was just... We never heard no such thing. A growing man dropping to his knees in the shower and about dying in pain. And so we get, get fishing, and we're pulling potloads of Baraday. now you see the guys are hauling when the pot's half full or three-quarters full. But back then, there was, those Baraday were so beautiful, the turquoise colors, the plate sizes on them. And I don't know if we fished them all, Mark, or they, those crab were there we never fished them, or the foreigners never got in and trawled for them but uh, those crab are huge you know,
0: you know you know back then though we were fishing a lot closer to land too we'd get in a nice little bay and get a pocket of crab now it seems like they're all you know you gotta run up to the prips to get them you know and, and I, I, they may still be there but the restriction you know you don't you don't search sure. that close anymore
1: yeah so the pots would come up I, I'm where four inches from being just plugged you'd open the door and they wouldn't even fall out king crab were worse because they'd really stick in the pot and so uh I'll tell you a story about dad and the uh, high, high tides and not being able to catch crab later or two but um, so man we're just shaking these pots out and the crab are just thick and we're getting boatloads of uh, baraday running them back into town well about two trips in this boat sinks offshore and we're, we're looking around for the sky we're finding debris everywhere and we're going what the heck is happening can't find them they must they died they all couldn't find them so they Oh, man, that's pretty depressing. You sort of get sad, and quiet, and stop talking after you lose friends that you know out there. And you're just, man, what could it have been like, you know? That uh, movie, The Perfect Storm, at the end of it, they describe what drowning's like. Man, you about drop your jaw, all the stuff you think about, about not breathing and stuff. And then breathing, finally, and then uh, water in. But so we look around for those guys, can't find them, just find, you know, stuff floating from the boat. So we get fishing. The crabbing goes down. So we're down to about half pots of crab and down to quarter pot. We're getting the codfish in the pots now. And I'll tell you a trick about getting codfish in a pot with a Baradai tunnel. But uh, we probably don't want to say that over the radio. <laughs> and uh, But these cod were so freaking big. This cod was up to my nose. It must have weighed 114 pounds. I swear, this is the hugest cod I've ever seen. I mean, it was like massively round. And it was red from sneaking through the tunnel. And uh, I go, what the heck is this thing eating? So I grab a knife. I don't even think we had Victor Knox back then. We just had uh, the, the white-handled knives for halibut, maybe. So I slice that cod's belly open. Inside that freaking codfish, yeah. no, is a Budweiser beer can. silver, white, and red etching on it. So I, cr- it's about 4 o'clock in the morning, about 20-foot seas rolling in, about a 300-foot ceiling. The crab lights are shining underneath. We're just rocking up and down. The block is going really slow going up really fast going down, really slow going up. I cracked that beer. Glug, 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 glug. I drink half. I give the other half to Jonathan. He drinks half. And we look over at George. Go, sorry, George. And I went, oh, that's why the old man said not to drink on the boat. So those guys were drinking on the boat and they didn't have their act together. And so uh, so we don't drink on the boat when we're fishing. We'll have a drink when we're at home. But- yeah, 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 that was on the Caprice. That was a good season. That's a, so an unopened beer can. Yeah, an unopened beer can and a codfish belly. You could see the, the silver, and you see the white and the red, and my brother Neil drinks Budweiser's, and they, they're pretty good bearders. Yeah. And then our next job was with Glenn again on the sleeve for Baraday fishing. Boy, we fished Shellacoff Straits, one of the deepest spots out there. It must have been 120 Fathoms, and I remember wearing bunny boots, it was so dang cold. We were up at Hallow Bay, one of the trips. And it was just blowing so hard, you couldn't even anchor, icing down. But those were big bear. That was the last of the Baraday I ran Kodiak there then. And then um, after that, I fished on the, actually on the Salif, I remember fishing on that. And the toilet, no, that was on the Bessie M. Then Bob Prue. I remember fishing with Bob Prue on the Bessie M out of Cook Inlet for I And um, the toilet didn't work. So we'd have to grab a five gallon bucket and go to the bathroom in a five-gallon bucket. Well, I hit the hot water one day instead of the cold water. You're talking, it's pretty cold for bear dive fishing. So I fill that five-gallon bucket up with hot water, set that baby down, and sit on that. That was the most relaxing thing <laughs> i have ever done in my life. A little butt sauna? A little butt sauna, man. I'll remember that one forever. So then my friend Pete, so on the new boat we built with Dad, the toilet, we didn't have a check valve in the dang thing. So you'd go up and down the waves, and the toilet would gurgle. So your old keister was set about two foot above that baby, make it happen, flush that toilet, slam the lid. And so it was years before I uh, put a, uh, a check valve, big three-inch check valve in that baby, otherwise it'd do the gurgling and stuff. So my friend Pete's in the Pribilof Islands when the uh, gnome needed that fuel. Remember that uh, big huge Russian icebreaker that came in, delivered the fuel? I don't. It, yeah, they did, and so Pete, my friend, he's in the Anchorage Daily News talking about the toilet Gurgling and spackling his fanny and I remember that I laughed so hard. I call up Pete and go, Pete, <laughs>
0: you guys, a lot of guys out here in Bristol Bay go in a bucket. Yeah, I mean that's old you know, school. They save the room and they're when they're designing their boat, they don't need it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know that extra room's for fish. Best fertilizer ever, right? Yeah, yeah. And uh... so, what? Obviously, you've been fishing your whole life, right?
1: What has been your scariest experience at sea? Oh, serious. So all five of us boys are on the boat. You're, and my dad's home. He's letting us run it. Which boat? The Time Bandit. Okay. The last one, built. The first one, dad, we were on it with dad all the time. What, you,
0: what boat was the first
1: one? The Time Bandit, too. Oh. Yeah, time, yeah, he kept the same. You know how he came up with the name? You ever seen the movie? Yeah. Time Bandits? Yeah. Well, Time bandit. So my wife, Nadine, she goes, Hey, the old guys your dad you no know, you five guys are the little midgets on there <laughs> and see we were laughing our heads off but he goes Dave what do you think of, we just watched the movie Time Bandits with my dad and my dad goes what do you think of the movie Time Bandits or the name Time Bandit I go dad that's perfect for a name for a boat so the scariest time is we're going crab fishing we can get up to the Pribilof Islands we're pulling blanks we're uh, left the wife at home everything back then we had paid for so, you, you know, we had fuel, the groceries, moose, fish, salmon, everything in the freezers and stuff, wood, chop, coal, and everything. And uh, so we take off, and then you see that one movie, uh, the Wide World of Sports had this clip, the agony of defeat, and that skier's going down the uh, big, huge jump, and he wipes out, and so you go crab fishing, and you're, like, pulling blanks, and it's icing up. It was uh, probably 93, three, four. I think maybe on that, yeah, about right about then. And the OPs were that good right then for some reason. We had a big spike and then it went down again. And so we ended up going to the Zemchug Canyon, loaded the whole boat up with crab pots, steam north. And we set the gear down the bank. And then we start pulling pots. We're getting blank, blank, 10, 100, 500. Then we finally get like three-quarters pots full. And that's when we, fixed, uh, we switched from six-and-a-half bys to 7 by eights which really helped us good. And so from there, I'll tell you another story. They have a regulation now of a largest crab pot you can build and it's a 10 by 10 by four. Well, so before we, that, we're in the Pribilof Islands. We're gonna to go to St. Matthews and fish with 60 pots, but we can only fish with 40 pots in uh, St. Paul. So we take the doors off the pots, tie the pots together Put one set of booze in there and we got forty pots. So we made twenty in, down into twenty and then we had another twenty that were six and a half by thirteen by pots. So they're huge pots. One of them came up so, so we get the tank checked and the fishing guy guy comes on and he goes, No, that ain't gonna work. You gotta weld them together. So we got over, oh, take it all off, we get everything done in about five hours, just tack welded everything together. So off we go. Well one pot of the privilege. Two up, pots. Two pots together. The door here. We take the back panel. The, the other door is going into the back panel, and so then we uh, roll up the panel and we pull out the one side. And, we, and so we had a full six and a half by thirteen pot on the boat. One pot comes up so full the picking ones, you can't even pick it up, and so we had to get the boot crane on it, just full of uh, small crab right up close to the Pribloffs. So, uh, but we're so we're up to seven by eights now on the on the big boat now, and so we load that dang boat up like in a, uh, three two pixels through the gear full, all three tanks, full of crap. And remember, all th- five of us are on that freaking boat, too. All five boys. So I'm a, for some reason, I'm the last on watch. So we start coming back, we're on hour watches. So there's like six or six of us on there, maybe seven. I think there's all five of us and maybe one or two more crew members. I can't remember. But we're coming back to the Pribiloft's to unload. And so I'm like six hours into waking up on the watch. And I get up, I can't remember who woke me up. And I go, man, this boat doesn't feel right, Mark. So I take it out of gear and I put it downwind because that's what Dad taught us to do is go downwind and go, you know, and go there. So I go, and every, when the boat comes out of gear, what do you do? You wake up. So Andy wakes up, Neil wakes up, and I'm like smoking rubber downstairs to get my boots and rain gear on, and I do it like a fireman. So you just have your boots sitting there and your rain gear, you're bam, you're on. I'm flying up the stairs, Neil's right behind me so what's going on? I go, oh, We got to check the bow. And luckily, I dogged the dang door up in the bow before I left, too, off the deck. Go up to the bow, and that, and it, by then, Andy, for some reason, he turns the boat into the waves again. And so, the water was almost coming over the top of the rail. Water was up almost over my extra tufts in the bow of that boat. The pots are so thick with ice. So, I grabbed this fire axe that we have. I, for some reason, we had a fire axe. And, it, Forget the baseball pass, they just wring your hands when you do the ice knocking. And I took that fire axe and I was swinging, and I knew right where each pot tie was, because we always tie them in three different spots. And I just whacked that pot tie, and I told Neil just to firewall it over the boat. We had to get one clear, and he got up on top. I said, just push it off. They are so thick. They were just packs. So we got rid of 10 of those pots on top. The next 10 pots we brought down, and we had to cut the doors off, and then we stopped using the the uh, pot ties for your coil we started using the main line for going through and doing a knot because it's just less pot ties on the boat less hassle a lot faster and um, but that was tough to do we had to you know, smash them with a sledgehammer to get them out just to undo the knot and then just throw the pots over to come back and get them but uh, that was so scary and so many boats like the northern mariner and it's uh the Big Valley probably, uh, all sorts of boats have sunk because of ice. Destination. If, yeah. And if that would have happened, my dad would have lost all five of his sons on that boat. That would it would have just killed him. That was that was the scariest time ever. Builds up fast too. Oh yeah. And you just don't realize it. Okay, what about what about your best time? Oh your man. Your favorite memory. Oh man.
0: It sounds like you got a few of them,
1: but let's... Yeah.
0: Can you think of one that is just your absolute favorite member?
1: I'm going to have to think for a while on that one. Oh, yes. It must have been when my wife was fishing in Cook Inlet with me. and It was good. The whole family fishing for salmon, drifted in Cook Inlet. So the first time I have Nadine out, right, it's got to be 35 knot winds, 14-foot seas. and She goes, are you sure we should be out of here, honey? I go, oh, we're fine, honey. And... Uh, and we were, were bucking along. She's out there running the reel, helping me pick fish, and we get our first load in. And it was really fun fishing with her all those years till she retired finally. And then uh, the best thing that I remember that she would make is salmon patties, and she still makes them, but she uses a potato, and that potato with the salmon and the onions and the egg and salt and pepper is so good. I try to get uh, you guys to make salmon patties with potatoes in them, but... Because your salmon patties are okay, but they're not as good as Nadine's. <laughs>
0: yeah. Well, now, so now you're in Bristol Bay. You've got your daughter.
1: Yes. On the boat. And we had my boys out here the first couple years. Katie hasn't fished. Last year, she came out. And this year, she's out. And the boys are out the first couple years we came out here. This is our fifth year out here now, fishing. We used to tend her out here all the time, from 81 all the way to 2000. Two I tendered until Dad passed away and things sort of changed with the family, so we started fishing cooking on it, started working up north and uh cooking. we got that time bandit running around here now. Yes, Neil, I need to find my brother here and get some smoked salmon from him here real soon. Maybe we should go to Yugashik <laughs> like, like you told me to, Mark. You, you he'd
0: got, be down there. He'd
1: be down there, I get my smoked fish. <laughs> oh, he'll,
0: be, he'll be up he'll be up here every other day probably.
1: Yeah. So you get down there, yeah. So then, uh, oh, then one, I remember Dad being with us uh, the first year with the boat. Boat, of course, he fell in the fish hole, and uh, we, go, we we almost wanted to tell him he oh, owed was a case of beer, but we didn't dare tell him that because why did you guys cover up that day? in that walkway, but then I remember fishing on the Big Valley out of Cook Inlet too for Paradine. Jamie Wilson, and he still fishes with his boy Weston on deck. And so we're uh, fishing Baraday over there on the Big Valley, which the Big Valley sank, to. And that boat in the bow would wobble in the bow. And the sides back then were only maybe 18 inches tall. It
0: feels like it's been like 18 or something years since it
1: went, hasn't it? And I was on that boat probably in, it was in the 79, maybe, or so. It was for, yeah, for just one season. We <sighs> shrimped out of cooking, let then crab fished out of, that might have been the about 83 when Dad sold the first boat and bought the next one. can't remember about when we were, I was with Ralph. But we were over there bear fishing and cricket. This wave hits us. Jamie's measuring crab. And uh, he's getting washed around. I get hit so hard, I'm doing this baseball side for the opposite side of the boat. And I just try to aim myself to get the rail. And look like I got the rail and the wave just compressed me in there like that. I jump back up like this and I'm looking for the next one coming at us and Jamie floating around still and he just drops down into the fish hole up to his armpits and I go "Yo, it's a case of beer <laughs> he's good people
0: you see yourself continuing to fish till when?
1: Uh, till I can't get on the boat anymore but it, it'd be nice to spend a couple summers at home with the sweetheart Yeah, we did that a couple years doing charters at a home where would stay home from tendering, and tendered the boat and then the brothers running for crabbing and Then i do the tendering so then, uh, every nice eventually, stay with the kids. And Katie, the other, the boys are too busy with kids and family, so they'll probably be a while before they start. But Katie wants to do it. She's mechanical. Yeah, she changed two injectors in uh, Williamsport right before she crossed over on the, the uh, state highway to get to Lake Gileana. So then, so then my brothers in Lake Iliamna got a hold of this one yellow, orange fish. They hooked into it and it spooled them there. They set one a big hook there, too. And they had this uh, fish straighten out the dang hook on it. And then, so we're going across. COVID happened in 2020. So me and the son and Sam and uh, Stan, friends of ours, were going over to come to fish in Bristol Bay. Raven Air just went bankrupt. So we lost our tickets So we didn't know if we wanted to travel by air. Everyone was afraid to do anything. So we're coming over in our our river boat, we're going moose hunting, and we're coming over and uh, we're coming across Lake Ileana and we're looking at this rock awash in the water. We're going, what in the world? Yeah, I guess there could be, and it's a flat calm. There's no tide movement, no swell like Hawaii or something like that. And we get about 500 yards up to this rock getting awash and all of a sudden it disappears. Okay, so we didn't get too close. We went away, and all of a sudden it comes back again. So we turned back around. We got about 250 yards from it. And I swear there's like three or four big fish which just rolling their backs out of the water, just like that, just swirling next to each other. And we look at each other. We're looking at me, I go, did you guys get that? And they're, they go, no. We're, we're just sitting there just in shock. What in the world was that? Well, then my friend Brady, his first year out here on his Marco when he was a kid when his he fished with his dad and he got his own boat, came across the Lake Illinomna, seen a bunch of black fish too, and was so scared that he said he beached his boat on the beach before he went down the Queen Jack River. Why? He was afraid those fish were going to uh, swamp his boat. They're so big. Really? Yeah. What are they? I don't know. We're going to find out. My brother couldn't catch one. My brothers couldn't catch one. The guy from River Monsters couldn't catch one. But I'm retire. That's what I'm going to do on my hit list. So my yeah. friends in Minnesota have been teaching me all their tricks for sturgeon fishing. Mm-hmm. So I think I got it between what my, my, some my brothers do with the hook straightened out, with the buoy, and what my friends told me, and from a few other things, I think I can catch one. And they did. Well, back in Alaska Daily News, back in the 70s, had a, a $10,000 reward or something like that for who can catch one. We don't know what it is. We don't know what it is. They're there. Something's there. Some, and then, I've
0: never even heard this. Really?
1: Yeah. Dude. And then they did a long line. How are you
0: and, going to make me go to Lake Ileana? Oh,
1: <laughs> it's got me going. So I want to catch one of them fish. Who knows what it is? And it will, normal sturgeon uh, will uh, spawn up the rivers and stuff, right? You'll see them in Minnesota in pictures and stuff. But uh, this, we don't know. Yeah. And then we had the strike in 1980. We put, what, 24 million fish up that river. And it just, the Queejack hasn't come back yet used to be a third of all of Bristol Bay. If we get the Quijack back, the Nushagak, and the Ugastic starting to produce now, yeah, this could be a hundred million fish run out here one day. It could yeah, be. Last year it was incredible. And if, can you imagine the Quijack kick too, Mark? Yeah. What would it be like? Yeah, well I've realized that just mm-hmm. from a couple openings. So we would come to Bristol Bay tender and every year. One of my favorite things was coming up here to Bristol Bay. So we'd get uh, subsistence uh, crab, and we'd come up to Bristol Bay. We'd park at Peterson Point, and we'd all the old Italian guys would bring the calamari, up, fresh calamari, and then the uh, guys from Oregon would bring the smoked canned sturgeon, and then the guys from uh, this one guy from Florida would bring the Cuban cigars up. And I'll tell you about the Cuban cigars in a bit here, but uh, man, we'd sit there and eat fresh calamari, fresh king crab, fresh um, smoked canned sturgeon. And then the Spanish guy helped me make the best pickled fish in the world. With between him and my dad, uh, we got the best pickled fish recipe in the whole world to eat. I'm gonna bring you pickled fish, Mark. One year,
0: you can't, you can't, you can't go lead me on like this, dude.
1: Because you, we just had pickles. We did and popcorn and jalapenos. What a good And so I'm up here because we don't know what the heck we're doing. I'm transferring back and forth like a yo-yo. And then we don't have a group to fish. But then I just tell them, Mark, you know, I did better when you're fishing by myself. My worst day in Iggy it was better than my best day in Knack-Knack with a group of fishermen. So I guess we need to give ourselves more credit than we think, but sometimes we don't. The gut. You the got, gut knows. The gut knows.
0: So uh, anything else you'd like to say? Oh, anything man. Anything you'd like to?
1: Yes. The wife, the one thing I'll remember what Nadine has always said, the sea has been good to us. It's been really good. And I'll remember, yeah, found it. Yeah, I love that. And this one old timer off the provider has a beautiful t-shirt. It's been good. Mm-hmm. And then on our dad, our dad at the Fisherman's Memorial, we have um, a plaque and it, we uh, we put there Johnny Hillstrand, uh, a father who knew the good life of having his boys to see. And he had all of us with them fishing. Yeah. Only been fired three times from dad. Over all those oh, it's well,
0: what's, what's great is you came up with your dad, and your kids yes. come up with you. You know, I'm sure that uh, they've got some of those memories um, of being little yes. and on, on dad's boat.
1: Now, I'm starting to write a book, too, about all this, too. And so, and I'm sort of doing it fictional because I tell the kids, well, we're not just going crap fish, we're going on secret missions to Russia to get them to get their act together to get open up their country for more love and peace and kindness. And so we finally, uh, so one of the stories about Chuck Bunger, Chuck too, and my dad and Chuck play a cribbage game for us using Chuck's boat to get on a nuclear submarine to get dispatched into uh, Russia, and it's over a gate. Uh, and Chuck wanted this collection of Louis L'Amour books that my dad had, full collection. Well, after the cribbage game, my dad gave that book collection to my son Aaron about 20 years later. That's so tough. dad won. So, yeah, Chuck lays down a uh, – Dad lays down a six. Chuck lays down a, a six, and Dad puts down another six for six and wins the game. And uh, yeah, I remember that. cribbage was a big-time uh, game. They play on the boats. They still do it. Yeah. Uh, Northern Patriot. I mean, go they go through decks and decks Oh yes Do you remember the deck of cards that came out with the boats on them? Yeah. I got yes. one left. A, a, a clean deck? A clean deck. One left. I gave so him all. way. I used away. to have one. I used to have. I had twenty Cause of. Because I'm, I'm going to get that deck from you somehow. No, no, dude, serious. Because <laughs> we were in Dutch Harbor, and the, some guy finds them, and he and I don't know why. Just I bought two packs. I should have bought every pack they had. Yeah. And I've, I've given, only
0: seen pictures of them. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh man. Yeah.
1: My last just one. I gave my friend, boats on there. John Bogey and then Tim Carr. My last two friends. I gave them two. got one. Left. I'm going to look for another pack at home for you. Because it has all the old school boats on. There. Yeah,
0: I'd love to. I'd love to see that. All right, David, uh, I'm going to give you a last word. Anything you'd like to say to these guys?
1: Uh, have a, if, if you go fishing. If you're in college, in high school, get a job, go fishing. You'll love it. The people you'll meet, the places you'll go. Uh, it's good to ha- have fresh fish and a good clean seas. So I, I, everyone should be going fishing.
0: Well, speaking of that, just one quick one. How? How do they how do they oh, get yeah. jobs nowadays? Because it, you can't really walk the docks like you used to. That's true.
1: Uh, I mean, like you could so, right now. Yeah, some people come out here to Bristol Bay, and it's pretty tough. They're living in Conexes and stuff. So you have to have friends. I don't know how in the world we would uh, get people to know where to, and who to call. Right. Because there's only so many boats fishing. You've got to sort of trust you. you got to have your act together. you got to work hard. And we search for uh, kids that do good in school, in high school, that do sports or athletic. Um, so yeah, Mike and Ace, Ace fishes for us, and Mike fishes for us too here, with your with the company. And they were two young boys that started out. I told them, my brother Andy, "Hey, give these John, give these guys a shot." So the first crab fisheries they got a shot at was hair crab fishing in the Pribilof Islands. And so um, that's a tough fisheries. You're slat, you're pulling a hundred pot string it's laying her right back out, and you're picking them as fast as you can pick them, then go unload. But they got their start, and they're some of the best around now. So you just have friends, boy, now with Facebook and everything else, and Google, and you bet you can. But yeah, the, uh, well, salmon is a good one, but the crab is it's going good, down.
0: Most most guys that salmon have some connection to other species, yeah, whether it be cod fishing, halibut fishing, uh, crab fishing. Okay. Anything you want to
1: say to your family? sure do love you. I miss you, honey. Dang, I miss you. You're you're the best woman ever.
0: (laughs) All right, guys. Thanks for listening, and we will see
1: you next time. All the stories you can tell, huh? Oh, boy.
0: Thanks for listening to Galley Stories. We hope you like what the net brought in. Please leave us a review on iTunes, whether you like it or not. We're not fishing for compliments. Look us up on Facebook and Twitter, too, and reach out to us at galleystories at gmail.com.